0: Today's reading comes from Genesis chapter 37. Starting in verse 12 to the end of the chapter. Now his brothers went to pasture their their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me the word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are, pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dotham. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dotham. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pits. Then we will say, we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what it will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, "Let us not let us not take his life." And and Reuben said to them, "Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him, that he might res- that that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to their to his father." So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead Gilead, um, with their uh, camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let and let not our hand be upon him for he is our brother our own flesh and his brothers listened to him then then midianite traders passed by and they drew joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver they took joseph to egypt when reuben returned to the pit and saw joseph was not in the pit he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said the boy is gone And I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, and he, um, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go to Sheol, to my son's mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Many times in church, we pray prayers we don't mean. One prayer we pray that we don't maybe fully mean is, Lord, use me. Because if we knew what that looked like, what we want, we want God just magically to make us into the person that he'll use. But God will use life's events, he'll use the things in life, he'll use a broken road to take you on the path that he wants you to go on. God does not need the circumstances of your life to be perfect to use you and to move you. The path God takes us on is not safe, but it is right and good. My wife and I, um, at our wedding, we had my sister sing, God Bless the Broken Road. It's a one that's uh, at a lot of uh, weddings, and most of the time, I think a lot of people were confused because most of the time at a wedding, it's because the bride or groom or both weren't very lucky in love early on in life and had tumultuous relationships with exes. However, me and my wife, we have no exes. We're the only people we've ever kissed, the only people we ever dated. I wanted it there, not because of our relationship, but because I see the hand of God working in my life that every disappointment, every hurt, every struggle, God uses that to make me into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and it is blessed. It is wonderful. It's a broken road, but it's a divinely broken road. Every broken road, every setback, every letdown has been used to make me into a better man than I would be without it. More importantly, God uses the broken road to speak to us. To cause our affections for him to bloom. Early in Joseph's life, the the part we're just about to come to is not filled with triumph. It's not filled with promotion. It's filled with death and suffering, and trials, and temptations. But these are things that God will walk him through in order to make him the man he needs to be in order to save, physically save, the known world. This road is filled with broken family, with a broken robe, and a broken heart, all of which God uses for his own glory and for Joseph's good. Last time on Patriarchs, we moved into the story of the 12 Patriarchs. This story is going to focus on just one of those patriarchs, which is Joseph. But for the rest of Genesis, really two will shine. And that's going to be Joseph and Judah. And what's surprising is that Joseph, Joseph in his life, it's marked by obedience. In fact, there's not a point in Joseph's life where there's an obvious sin. We really have to read into the scripture to make some sin come through. Even though we know he's not sinless. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Joseph's a part of that. Judah, on the other hand, okay, Judah like, goes from bad to worse to worse and to really bad. Yet it will be Judah that God will bring the Savior through. It's interesting, too, when you read throughout the Old Testament, you get past the law, you get into the time of the judges, and then you get into First and Second Kings. And the kingdom is then divided between the northern and southern and I think this will really help as you're doing your Bible reading, is that the Bible, it has, we know for the southern kingdom, it's called Judah. For the northern kingdom, it is known as either Israel or Ephraim. Ephraim was one of Joseph's sons. Joseph gets a double blessing. Ephraim and Manasseh become two of the patriarchs. So the rest of, not just Genesis, but actually all the rest of the Old Testament will be about Joseph and Judah. And then we get to the New Testament, it's actually about that as well, because the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, comes first to the lost tribe of Israel, or Ephraim, and then to us, the Gentiles. In the children's book series, The Chronicles of Narnia, there's a character named Aslan. He's a big lion, and he represents Jesus Christ. If you haven't read them, sorry, spoiler alert, he's, he's a metaphor or allegory for Jesus, and during, the, during several of the books, people see this huge lion and they ask this question, is he safe? And people say, no, he's not safe, but he is good. You know, people want a safe God. They want a safe Jesus. A Jesus who's just about everything they're about. Who will never challenge, who does not have his own agenda, but it'll just be about our agenda. He's just a cheerleader on the side. And when we find out, no, he's a lion, is it safe? It's not safe but it is good. Is following Jesus safe? Let's ask the apostles. All but one are brutally murdered. And the one who's not gets boiled in oil and gets to spend the rest of his days as a slave. They would say, no, it's not safe, but it is good. It is more glorious than anything this world could possibly offer that it is better to be not safe but on the road that God puts us on than back home being safe. The road God puts us on is often a broken road, but it is a road that will make us into the man or woman of God that God intends us to, and it is a road that leads to the very heart of God. To quote a real but a fictionalized Scotman, everybody dies, but not everybody truly lives. As we venture into the life of Joseph, and we were about to venture into the trials that he has. He's about to be sold into slavery by his brothers. I can't tell you what an evil thing that is in the ancient Near East. Like you expect the neighbors. You, accept, you, you don't expect, but you're heartbroken if friends do it. But your own brothers, your own family to sell you into slavery, that is, that is evil on a whole other level. Okay, and then he's in this guy's house and then he gets accused of something he didn't do. So he goes to prison and all of these things that are happening in his life. You might think this poor, poor man, but that wasn't Joseph's perspective. He wasn't a victim. And dear one, if you are in Christ, you are not a victim either. You know what Paul says? That all day we face death. But he says we are more than conquerors. Through him, faith in him. We often see Jesus as the greatest victim, but Jesus says, I lay my life down. No one takes my life from me. He's not a victim. And we can look at the context of the rest of Joseph's life to see that. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when he is confronting his brothers yet again, excuse me, he says, for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for the good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph did not see himself as a victim. In a time where victimhood gives you certain social credit, it rubs us the wrong way that the Bible does not give us that room to be victims. I remember, it's hard to say like generations, I'll say my age bracket. I remember hearing this song from the band Green Day that I thought like really exemplified my age bracket. And it was this, I want to be the minority. And I was like, yeah, right? So then the next generation, we found out ways to make ourselves a minority because that victimhood, but if you are in Christ, you are not a victim. You are a victor. You are a conqueror. And every bit of suffering and pain this world can dish out will only make you into the image that God wants to make you in. Everyone serves God. One thing that might be very surprising to us, especially when we read this portion in the context of Psalm 105 of Acts chapter 7, is that this was God's plan to send Joseph to Egypt. To use his brother's sinful actions to send him to Egypt. Because God can use sinners sinlessly. Just as God can use the earthquakes, he can use hurricanes, he can use all these things, he can use sinners sinlessly, and he uses his brothers who are acting in the flesh, who are acting wickedly. He can use them to set about his own purposes of getting Joseph to Egypt. God uses and even ordains all of this to send Joseph to Egypt. Everyone and everything serves God. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, willingly or unwillingly, all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Their actions in this chapter were free actions of themselves, but God has freer will than they and stronger will than they. Their actions will haunt them to the end of this very book. But everyone will serve God. You will serve God either as a portrait of grace or an example of God's justice. Speaking to you today. Do you know the Lord? We had the testimonies here. And one thing both of them said in their testimonies, I know that I am with Jesus, that if I died, I'm going to heaven. Do you know that today? Are you hoping maybe today is a more of a religious day and maybe the scales will somehow balance out? There's never enough good you can do to earn your way into heaven. You need the saving work of Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, you will spend an eternity and as an example of God's perfect justice. But if you fall upon the mercies of Jesus Christ, accept him into your heart. Proclaim him as Lord, not yourself, but him as Lord. You will be an eternal portrait of grace. This is Joseph's story as we go along. We like the part of many, his coat of many colors. We like the part where he is governor over Egypt, but this is part of his story too. This is his background story of how God makes him into a man who can govern the known world. And this road that he puts him on, it is filled with a broken family, a broken robe, and a broken heart. Verses 12 through 20, a broken family. We've already seen how Joseph's brother, how Joseph's family is broken. We've been going through the series called Patriarchs, the founders of the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in every generation, there is conflict. In every generation, there's this sense of brokenness. And it's one of the things that the writers of Hebrews says, this is trying to tell us that it's by faith, not by works, that salvation comes around. That salvation by faith, not by works. As we read this, let's put that into perspective. No family's perfect, and every family in one way, shape, or form is broken. Do you have a perfect family? Let me answer that for you. No, you don't. None of us do. We are all broken people, part of broken families, in constant need of the redeeming power of God and the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. I grew up in a, we call it a, a broken home. My mom and dad were divorced when I was six years old. And we grew up very poor. My mom had five kids. I think she's a superhero, raising five kids, especially, if you're watching today, any brothers or sisters, us. Very, very difficult. So I remember kind of growing up, you know, we were pretty poor. We were pretty poor. And I remember envying and hating people at school. We had a term for people that we thought were like, had everything together, the perfect family. We called them preps. I think, I I don't know if that word exists anymore. It's kind of like a saved by the bell word. And um, so we call them preps and I would call anybody. I thought was like, you have two parents and you don't have food stamps. You're a prep. I think maybe we use privilege today. And, I, and I, I would envy and I would hate. And then when the Lord saved me and I started being a little more social and letting people in, I found out every family I ever encountered had problems. And some of the problems of those families I thought were perfect, you couldn't pay me all the money in the world to live their lives. No family's perfect, and this family certainly isn't perfect. We start in verse 12 here. Now his brothers went to pasture his father's flock near Shechem, Joseph's not with them. Why isn't Joseph with them? Let's go back to their brokenness. Last week, I mentioned how Joseph had already been elevated above his brothers. His coat of many colors, and the word for many colors there, it's difficult to translate. Seems like everybody agrees. It's, it's talking about a long tunic, a long robe. It'd be the type of robe that you don't have to do work in. You get to watch other people doing work. The foreman, the guy on the side of the road who, who, who's making sure people are on task, That was Joseph. His brothers knew this and they envied and they hated him for it. It also told them how their father favored Joseph over them. Two factors to consider here. Them going to work and him not going. One is another example of his father's favoritism. Joseph didn't have to do the hard work. Here's the second one. His brothers also didn't want him to come with. His father has to send him to them and he sends him to give a report on them. Once again, Joseph's not a tattletale. This is the work that his father has for him as the one who would give a report to make sure everything is going well. This family is already broken by the time we get to these verses. The brothers hate, hate, hate Joseph. That was the last 11 verses. Hate, three times. So in Hebrew, that's like screaming at you in all caps with all the exclamation points and the selfies that are like angry and crazy. That's what that means in the Hebrew. Hebrew. They hate him, hate, hate, hate this guy. What a sad thing it is when hate enters the home. How difficult to drive out the hate and bitterness when it sets in amongst family. As we read this, may we do a personal inventory. Where are you at with your family? Do you have something against a literal brother, a literal sister? Do you have something against a father or mother, a cousin, a friend? Jesus told us before, we get our, we give our gift at the altar to make it right with them. We're making sure that we are our own houses in order. In verses 15 through 17, Joseph obeys his father. He goes to find his brothers, and uh, he can't find them. He's over in Shechem, and they're nowhere to be found, and he's looking around. This is why, like, if you're in a grocery store, or if you're in some retail store, if you're looking around, somebody helps you. That's what kind of happens with Joseph. He's looking around. Stranger realizes this guy doesn't know where he's going, and he just so happens to know where Joseph's brothers are. There's a lot of just so happens in these verses that I've been that I read to you. Nothing in your life is random, folks. Pastor named R. C. Sproul said, "There's no maverick molecules." In Shakespeare's um, play, the play that should not be named Macbeth, I'm not. I'm not acting anytime soon. Macbeth, there's a line from there that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. What I just read to you screams against that. No. He goes to Shechem. His brothers are nowhere to be found. And so a stranger who just so happens to know where his brothers are comes to him and he talks with them and he tells them where his brothers, they go, went to Dothan. Here's also something significant. Shechem does not have a road that goes to Egypt. Not easily accessible, no trade route goes through Shechem to Egypt. You know where it does have a trade route to Egypt? Dotham. So we look at all of this and we're like, okay, it's really sad what happens here, the brothers. This is God's will for Joseph's life, for him to go to Egypt. Now I'm sure he would have said, I would rather have gone through a different road. I'm there too. I'd rather just sit home, be comfortable you know, wait out my time or do whatever. But that's not the choice we get when we come to God. We do what we just saw in the baptism. I die to myself. I die to my wants. I die to my desires. And now I am the slave of Christ. And I think I never, I think I understood this in a better way when I went over to Africa. When I went over to Africa, we had a, it ended up being, it was going to be a layover, but it ended up being like a day stop in Ethiopia. By the way, pray for Ethiopia they're constantly going through just the most terrible things like civil wars, coups, and things like that. It just doesn't get get put on the news. So anyway, we're there in Ethiopia. We can tell something's not right. It was the first time many of us had been on such a long trip, so we thought maybe it was jet lag. And it seemed like everybody was on edge. There was people on top of people. And we find out later that day there was a coup on the government. It's a dangerous place to be. So we went from there to Botswana. Botswana is almost like night and day difference from Ethiopia. I wanted to kiss the ground when I got to Botswana. Oh, there's not people on top of people. There's not soldiers everywhere. It feels safe here. In my last day in, in, uh, in Botswana, I was out running. And I was praying to the Lord, and that's part of my time where I get to be with the Lord. Really, it's, it's my sacred space I have when I get to run. And I'm, I'm having this time with the Lord, and I've already decided in my heart that I'm coming here to Algona. So this is during that time, the time of transition. I'm coming to Algona, and if that's, what, if that's the door that God would open. And I remember at that moment, I'm thinking, if God, told, if God asked me to go to Ethiopia, what would I do? And I stopped running, and like... Okay, I want, I want to point out, once again, jet lag and everything right here. So don't... tears started running down my face. And I told God, if you want me to go to Ethiopia, I'll go to Ethiopia. It's not as I will as you will. Luckily, God said, no, you're going to Algona. So... <laughs> but that's the way we say it. when we come to Christ. We're like, here am I, Lord, send me. Just as Joseph had said to his father, um, just said, said to his father, um, see here. Here I am. And we say, here I am, Lord, send me. This stranger the stranger finds Joseph, tells him where to go. Now, who is this stranger? We don't really know. In fact, many, many movies depict him as an angel. So I have on here, was he an angel? It's something I wonder about. I don't think we really know. Um, it's possible. When we talk about angels, however, you know, we kind of lump all celestial spiritual entities into two camps. I think it's a very smart way of doing things, in in fact. You know, obedient celestial entities we call angels. Disobedient celestial spiritual entities we call demons. And, you know, we lump seraphim, cherubim, the living creatures, that thing that's in Ezekiel, all within the angel or demon categories. And I I think that is fine. However, the word angel in the Hebrew, it just means a messenger. So today you can be an angel, be a messenger of God. Now, I'm not talking about a celestial entity, but be a messenger from God. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. This is your work, dear Christian, on this earth. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is not just for me. It's for you as well. Is that we scream out to this world, be reconciled to God. Today's the day of salvation. You don't know tomorrow. Today's the day of salvation. Be reconciled to God. I can't tell you how many times the tears in my eyes as the person looks at me with hate, I'm screaming at them to be reconciled to God, to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. In verses 18 through 20, we see how far Joseph's brothers had fallen because not only do they envy him, not only do they hate, hate, hate him, they want him dead. They, they see him coming from afar off. They call him a dreamer. Let's kill him and see what happens from his dreams. Fast forward to the New Testament, to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, to hate your brother is like the sin of murder. Here's the illustration of it. It starts in the heart and flows to the actions. They see him and in their heart, they want to kill him. Even when their oldest brother Prevents that they still. I mean, they still are wanting to kill him. They don't know Reuben is intending to fishing him out later. They are right now. They are at a point in their life where they are living by the flesh. They want to kill their very brother. First John, chapter three, verse fifteen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Here we have an example of that. They want to kill their own brother because of the dreams that God has given him. It's a broken family. So your family's not perfect. Be encouraged. I doubt it's as bad as this one. And this is the family that God uses to bring the Messiah to the nations. Here's the second, my second point here, a broken robe, verses 21 through 28. In 21, but when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness and do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. This is, this is an interesting thing. So in Reuben's heart, he's like, okay, I've got to defuse this situation because they want to kill our second to youngest brother. So he tells them, okay, let's not get our own hands dirty. Let's throw him into the cistern. Then he can just starve to death. And then our hands aren't Aren't stained now. Reuben actually does want to rescue him out of that pit, but he knows his brothers are so far gone that nothing less than the death of their brother will satisfy them. That's how far gone they are. But Reuben, we see here, and I don't, I don't know, but perhaps this is an indication of Reuben repenting from his former sins. He sinned with with Belha, his father's concubine, and he does not want to add on to the guilt that he already has. As we go to verse 23 and 24. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. This broken robe, this broken coat of many colors. So you don't don't need to know really any of the background of everything that's been going on. You don't need to know that this coat set him above his brother's it was an example of his father's love for him, his love over his other brothers. Just the image in your mind of a robe that's been shredded communicates that all to you. That this wasn't about tearing a garment. It was a message. We reject our father's choice. Let me go even deeper than that. Joseph's dreams were for him, but they were to his brothers. They reject God's word as they rip apart his robe, it is so much more than ripping a garment. And when, when God himself, the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, the most beautiful thing that could ever exist, that is beyond all of existence, is here on this earth, what do sinful men do? They rip it apart. They see the coat of many colors and they tear it apart on the cross. And just as that was all part of God's plan for Joseph, it was God's plan for Christ. Of what would be done? The saving of many people. They throw him into this pit. This pit right here is more of a water-gathering cistern, which is why it says that there was no water in it. It would have been tiled and extremely hard to get out of. There's a lot of examples of righteous, of righteous people being thrown in pits. We have this one right here. We have Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. Jeremiah, this is gross, Jeremiah is thrown into the sewer. Part of following Jesus might mean that you end up in a pit. Well, that, that's not very encouraging, Pastor Jason. That doesn't make people motivated to do whatever you want them to do. No, it doesn't. But this is the glorious thing in Christ. You know it's all worth it. You know it's all going to be worth it. That I would rather be in the pit with Christ than in the penthouse with the high and mighty. I'd rather be a doorman at the house of the Lord than sitting amongst kings. Verses 25 through 28, we have them come back here. We have Reuben. It seems like, not Reuben, sorry, Judah. It seems Judah kind of comes to the, to the forefront of the narrative. And the next chapter after here, we have Reuben as well, the narrative pointing towards him. But we have here, these brothers' hearts are so hard that as they hear their brothers screaming and pleading for mercy, they have a meal. In verse 25, they sat down to eat, and looking, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead um, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, "What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let us not and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. Oh, that's very kind, Judah. Judah doesn't care if he dies or not. Selling him to the Ishmaelites, who knows what's going to happen to him? He just figures, I can get a little money here." There are so many similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Last week, I talked about how Joseph is the example of what God will do to a person in order to save people physically from starvation. And Jesus Christ is the example of how God saves spiritually. It's too hard for any person. There's never been a single, fully human being who is righteous enough to save, spiritually save, even themselves, let alone the world. So God himself will give us a sign. The virgin will be with birth and they shall call him wonderful counselor, mighty God, father of what is everlasting, Jesus Christ. Here's one of the other similarities. Jesus is betrayed by Judas for money and Joseph is betrayed by Judah for money. He betrays his brother for 20 shekels of silver. It's another way Joseph is like Jesus. He is betrayed for money. Jesus is betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces. Betrayal hurts. Betrayal hurts more than just simply what is happening. It hurts because that person was supposed to love and protect. You were supposed to be able to trust that person only for them to use that against you. This is bad. It's as bad as it can get. Maybe you're going through a tough time in your life. You're going through a a difficult time in your family, and there's all this chaos, and you're wondering, God, does God even still see me in this? Here, I want to encourage you. He is on the road to Egypt now. Shechem did not have a trade route, but Dotham did. It's all a part of God's plan. What about the circumstances of your life? If If they are not bad, just wait. I put that in my notes because it's true. What do you do when it's your time to suffer? Do you become better or bitter? The road to Egypt is God's plan for you. It's a rough one. It's a broken one. Your robe may be torn. Your heart may be broken. And the brokenness of your family will shine through. It'll be more evident. It's not safe, but it is good and it is right. In verses 29 through 36, we have a broken heart. The broken heart of Joseph's father, Jacob. When Reuben returned to the pit, he saw that Joseph was not in the pit. He tore his clothes. Remember Reuben? He was going to come by later and he was going to fish Joseph out of the pit and bring him to his father. If you plan to do good, do it right away because you might miss your opportunity. Jesus said, don't store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and thieves and rust can take away, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven See opportunities for treasures in heaven. Make sure what you're living for is worth Christ dying for. Because you might have this opportunity, and, and if you don't act right away, it might be just like Reuben where Joseph's already gone. So what does it matter? Your good intentions. This isn't Hallmark. The thought is not what counts. In Sunday school today, uh, Jessica Biddle was talking about this, this conviction of the Holy Spirit on her heart this last year to pray. And to pray exactly when you're feeling it. If you know good to do, just do it right away. Because it's not going to be, you're not going to have like an over, overdose of good. If you feel the need to pray, you don't have to say, we sometimes get lead poisoning. where like, unless I'm led to do that, I'm not going to do anything, whether I think it's good or not. See, if you know the good to do, just do the good. Do the good while you have the opportunity because you might miss your opportunity. Reuben misses his opportunity. He rips his clothes. He thinks his brothers have murdered their youngest brother. Do the good right away. Pray right away. You know, you're not going to pray for somebody so much like they're going to overdose on prayer. Pray for them right away. I'll tell you my personal experience. I feel your prayers when you pray for me. I get strength when I feel weak. I feel my arms being lifted up. Like Moses, when Aaron and her lifted up his arms, was again all being part of God's plan here. Don't hesitate to do what is to do what is good. his brothers, his ten brothers in verses thirty one and thirty two they do to their father what their father had done to his father, they deceive him. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It's my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Sin, tolerated in one generation, is freely done in the next And then the generation after that, it is celebrated. And the one after that, it is taken as normal. Abraham pretends his wife is his sister. Isaac does the same. Joseph pretends to be Esau. And now Jacob's sons pretend that their brother was ripped apart by wild animals. This breaks Jacob's heart. And not just Jacob's heart. It breaks their own heart for what they've done. They carry this guilt. And Genesis 44, 16. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. I imagine every time things were going well for them, they thought, where's Joseph right now? What have I done? I can't take it back. I can't fix this. What can I do? They carry this guilt so bad that even though Joseph tells them he's forgiven them, even though he provides for them after their father dies, they think this is the moment. He's really going to let us have it. So they try to deceive Joseph more. Sometimes it's easier to accept the forgiveness of God than to forgive ourselves or truly believe that we are forgiven and cleansed. The Father is unconsolable, a broken heart who can mend it. Grief is a whole lot more complicated and severe than any of us really want to believe. It stems from the very last enemy that will be defeated in this universe, and it is death itself. Death is not natural. It's unnatural. Life was designed to live and not die. But right now we are on this side of the veil of tears. In verse 36, that's the very last verse of this chapter. While the Midianites had... Um, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. You are never out of God's sight. You see how we see, right? Because we know the rest of the story. And if you don't, you can go ahead and read it after this. Don't worry, you're not not doing anything wrong. We know that Joseph is a part of God's plan right now, but you know who doesn't know this right now? Joseph, Jacob, the 10 other brothers. They have no clue. But here's the thing about Joseph. It didn't matter. He doesn't spend his time whining. This wasn't, this wasn't the plan. Wherever he finds himself, whether Potiphar's house, in the jail house, or ruling Egypt, whatever his hand finds to do, he does it with all of his heart as unto the Lord. And he allows these circumstances of life to make him better instead of bitter. Joseph will prove to be faithful it's a broken road, but it is a divi- divinely broken road. And it is, its purpose is to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Be all things, God works together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. So before we do our last baptism, and I wanted to save the last one here. This is John Firstenel. He grew up in the church, and he has a great testimony. I'm excited to share it for, with you. I'm not going to read it. He's going to say it in his own words. We're all on this like journey. We're all on this journey of faith, this road of faith, and it doesn't always go the way we think it'll go. But God is always with us. I've on here three questions. Do you want God to use you? Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want the fruit of the spirit? The answer to all three of these questions is the discipline of our God, for he disciplines every son and daughter he takes to himself if you are not disciplined, you are not a true son and daughter of Jesus Christ. To live godly is to suffer persecution. And probably the worst persecution we face is our own sinful nature. It's in opposition to the spirit nature, so we don't do what we want. And God then uses this to make us more into the image of Jesus Christ.